Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25. We've been talking about some of the parables of the kingdom, and we're going to look at the parable of the talents this morning. And when we talk about talent, we use it in the sense of a skill in this that passage of Scripture. It is a, a proper term for a form of currency that they used uh, called a talent. Uh, so, so don't get those things mixed up. You can have no currency and still have talent, and you can have no talent and still have currency. Just look at the Kardashians, right? But, um, but, but I mean, you, you can have all kinds of uh, 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 offerings unto God, and that's really what we want to look at this morning, is what do we have to offer to the kingdom of God? When we talk about the, the kingdom living, when we talk about the kingdom parables being a part of the work that God has given us to do, this is a tremendous passage of scripture because Jesus is laying this out here that whatever we have been given we have been given that to the glory of God and it is our choice whether we're going to glorify God with what we've been given or whether we're going to hold it back and the reason we hold back so often is because we don't truly understand the nature of the master and that's what we see in this passage of scripture is that we see a servant who really did not know his master. So if we get to the point in our lives where we understand who Christ is and what he's done for us, then we will understand more of why these two servants that we see in the beginning were so involved. But let's read Matthew chapter 25. Stand with me if you will. We're going to read starting in verse 14. Jesus, of course, speaking here, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered him delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he came, uh, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord... I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, 
and he and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we pray that we might be profitable to your kingdom. Father, we pray that we would be useful servants to you, that we would look at our lives and the many, many blessings that you have bestowed upon us, and that we would put those blessings to work for you. And Father, that we would be able to honor you and glorify you in your coming. And in the day uh, of our judgment, Lord, that we would understand all the work that you were willing to do in and through us. And Lord, that you might receive glory in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Basically, what, we're, what we see here, we see two sets of people. We see two attitudes. We see uh, two people who wanted to be involved in the work of the kingdom and one person who did not want to be involved in the work of the kingdom. We see two people who understood who their Lord and Master was and what it meant to give Him glory and one who did not understand who their Lord and Master was and did not care to give Him glory. So I want us to look at these first ones first. Ain't that a good way to do it? All right. Uh, We're going to look at these involved servants. You have these first two servants who were the involved servants. Now there are three character traits that we see in the lives of these uh, two people. And and you might want to make a note of that. Number one, they were eager. Number two, they practiced wisdom. Number three, they were honorable. If you want to be an involved servant in the kingdom of God, these are going to be three character traits that mark your life. You're going to be eager to serve the Lord. You're going to serve Him under His wisdom. And you're going to honor Him in the things that you are doing. So let's look at how this breaks down. Number one, it says that we see in this passage of Scripture that they were eager. It says that once He went off. And as soon as He left, these first two servants went to work. Their master had left them with a great responsibility. And the most important thing in their lives at that moment was to produce something that honored their master. Now this tells me that they had a good relationship with him, that they respected him, that they reverenced him, that they wanted to honor him and what was going on. So they were excited and they were eager about putting their responsibility to work. That he had left in the hands of the first servant five talents, five pieces of money, five coins, and he put those five coins to work, and he doubled his master's uh, uh, money that he had there, and he gave it back to him when he came. Now, we should be eager to do the work of God. That is the battle of the church for 2,000 years, is getting people of God to be eager to do the work of God. Now, you see it in Scripture. You see in the writings of Paul where he tells Timothy, you know, stir into flame that spark that is within you. He tells the people, be zealous for the Lord. We see that we are, you know, that that's nothing new. That's encouraging to me as a pastor, I want to tell you. Why is that encouraging? Because, because we know that it can be done. We see in the early church that the the church came alive and the continents were shaken with faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that can happen again. I believe that the Lord can awaken His church to the point that it will happen again. We need to be eager. Does that mean that we have to know how to do everything? Do we have to be able to? No. We just have to be willing. I I read a a story the other day of a, a, a gentleman, a pastor. His name was W.E. Spencer. He was on the council of the uh, 
Methodist congregation of Westminster back in the, the late 1800s. And the, they were, the way they worked things is they would have young preachers come in front of them, in front of this council, and the council had to approve their pastorate. They had to approve them to go into certain churches. Mr. Spencer was on that council and this young man came in front of him and he was kind of timid and he was kind of shy and he, he preached, he opened the word and he preached that word. He preached what was, was in the word but he preached it in a very timid and very quiet spirit. He, he was not verbose and he was not, you know, real lively and, and he was almost apologetic to the council. He said, I'm a shy person. He said, I, I'm not one who, that, that, you know, that's going to set the, the river Tim's on fire, and, and Spencer looked at him and he said, Son, I'm not worried whether, you want to set, whether you're going to set the River Thames on fire. I'm worried about if I threw you in it, would you sizzle? See, it's not about the fire that we can set. It's about the fire that's within us. Are we eager to do the will and the work of God? Are we eager to, to put our talent to work, to put our skill to work, to put what God has invested in us back into the work of the kingdom? It's not so much about the fire you can set, but it's about the fire within you. And if the Holy Ghost is alive inside you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got all the fire you need. You just need to stoke it up a little bit once in a while. You need to get in the Word of God. You need to get around the people of God. And you need to understand that when God has given you something, it is a blessing. And that blessing needs to be put to work. And that can be anything. I'm still trying to figure out the, ear to the heel to the ear thing. I'm not sure how that's going to work out for Eli. But, but it'll work. Something will, hey, might, you know, anyway. It will work. God gives us talent. God gives us skill. God gives us His very presence that we might go into the world and make a difference. But so often we hold back, and we'll talk about that guy in just a minute. Let's talk about these two. They were eager. Number two, they were wise. They were wise. What did they do? They took what was given to them and they put it to work. We are wise when we use what God has given us. Here's what we tend to do. Well, if I had this or was able to do that or, or you know, if I had this much money or I had this skill or I had that talent or this resource, then I would be able to do this for the Lord. Any of you ever do that? I've got to raise both hands. I do that all the time. Lord, if I could just have this and this, I'd be able to... You know, fill in the blank. You see a need. Oh, I'd like to meet. I can't meet that need. What need can you meet? What skill have you been given? What talent have you been blessed with? What resource is in your possession that you can put to work for the kingdom of God? That's the question. And here's what we tend to do, though. We worry. Uh-oh. Worry is, is like, that's that taboo subject. Nobody wants to talk about worry. Why? Because everybody's guilty of it. Preacher, talk about something else. Talk about something somebody else has done. Don't talk about worry because I do that. All right? But we do. We worry. We get consumed with worry. Here's, here's the nugget of the day. All right? You ready? Worry and wisdom do not mix. Worry and wisdom do not mix. If you follow the wisdom of God, you don't have to worry. Because God knows the outcome. And if you put to work that which God has given you, 
Now, I don't know what God has given you. You might have the ability to say, I was sitting there, I was thinking about the sermon as I was looking at our choir, and, you know, 16 people up there just singing out, and, and, you know, God has blessed them with that ability. And you say, well, I can't sing. You can make a joyful noise. That's what the Lord commands us to do, make a joyful noise. You do like me, just make up the words as you go. It don't even matter. I'm singing sometimes and I'm like, I don't know where that came from, Lord, but it's aimed to you. It's, it's just, it's all for your glory. All right? So, so we need to understand that, that worry and wisdom don't mix. When we use what God has given us. Now, you might have a resource that somebody else don't have. That, that somebody else isn't capable of, of fulfilling. You might have a talent or skill or, or, or something of that effect. Now, this passage is very obviously about finances. It's about putting to work the, the financial gift that the, the master bestowed upon them, but don't limit it to that because it is, it is whatever God has blessed you with. If you've got a dependable automobile, you might be able to give somebody a ride to the hospital. If you've got uh, extra food on your table, you might have, be able to supply somebody a meal that doesn't have a meal. If, if you've got whatever, you fill in the blank. You know what you've got better than I know what you've got. Amen? And all you've got to do is offer it unto the Lord. And that is wisdom. Wisdom is putting into practice that which God has given you. That's all it is. That we do not have to worry about the outcome because God has blessed us with a gift. And when we put that gift to work, God can use it. So they were eager. They were wise. And they were honorable. Now here's where we... separate ourselves from some other teachings. There are a lot of teachings out there that take this passage of Scripture and, and just murder it. And they say, well, you take what God's given you and He's going to give you twice as much. You invest in this ministry and He's going to give you tenfold and a hundredfold and 450-fold. All right? No, that's not what He's talking about. Do you see what the servants do? If you don't see anything else, you see what these servants do. They invest what their master has given them, and when the master returns, what do they do? They give it back to him. It is for his glory. It is not for, for glory of self. It is not for the, the puffing up of the, the individual. It is not for the, 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 any of that. It is for the glory of the master. They were not looking to profit off of God. Too many churches in our culture today spell profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, instead of the right way. Yeah? We are not to profit off of God's kingdom. If God has blessed us with, with a resource or a talent or skill, it is that we might give it back to Him. That we might honor Him with it. And I love reading through this passage. I read through it again a couple of weeks ago. I was preparing this and I've read through it several times this week. And every time I just picture those two servants and their eagerness and their honor. And they're coming before their, their master. Their master rides back into town and they said, He gave me five and now I've got ten. Here you go. This is yours. Because I want to honor you. Because you have been so good to me and you have trusted me. And you've allowed me to be a part of your work. See, this was a tremendous thing if you keep it in context here. That the servants were entrusted with the resources of the master. And that he gave it to them according to their ability. He said, this guy, 
He can handle five talents. He can do something with it. This guy, he can handle two. He can do something with it. And I believe this guy over here, he can handle one. And he's going to do something with it. But that last guy kind of let him down. That last guy kind of disappointed him. And that's the second thing we see. We see the involved servants. Then we have to see the inactive servants. The servant. I almost, I almost said indifferent. But he wasn't indifferent. He thought about what he was doing. He was intentionally inactive. Now why is that different? Because there are a lot of people who, who you know, just don't understand. They're not concerned. They lack the understanding of God's kingdom. That's why we have preaching. That's why we have teaching. That's why we have Sunday school and discipleship that we might grow in our understanding of the kingdom of God. But there's a lot of people who have that understanding and they choose to be inactive. It just doesn't matter to them. And just like there were three marks of these active and and involved servants, there are three marks of this inactive servant. Number one, he had no intimacy with his master. No intimacy with his master. Number two, he showed no increase in what the master had given him. And number three, there was no integrity in his work. Look at his life. Look at what he did here. Understand what's going on in the life of this inactive servant. The master rolls back into town. I picture him on a horse. I don't know why. Okay. Too many Clint Eastwood movies, I guess. He comes over the horizon. And the eager servants, the, the involved servants, the servants that wanted to honor him, they gather up what, had been, what he had given them plus what they had earned and they run out to meet him. And the other guy sitting back on the porch going, he'll get here when he gets here. And the master rolls up and the eager servants, the, the active servants, the involved servants, they say, Lord, we honor you, we love you, here's what we've done for you. Look at how we've multiplied your resources. Look at how we've been used in your kingdom. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make your master over many, many enter into the, Lord, the joy of your Lord. Be a part of what I'm doing. Continue in the work that I have for you to do. And this third guy goes, here. Do you see it? I know you to be a hard man who gathers where he has not sown. Now it doesn't say that he is that hard man. Look at the wording there. He says, let me find it. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Obviously, first of all, the master knew he couldn't be trusted. He left him with one talent. He said, maybe he'll do something with it. But also, obviously, this servant did not know his master. Too many people in the church today, who is the master in this passage of Scripture? It is Jesus. And too many people in the, in the church today do not understand who Jesus is. We don't understand the loving, compassionate, grace-filled forgiveness of Almighty God. We don't understand that He has poured out every known blessing upon the face of the earth. That as the book of James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. And He has put it in our hands and He said, here, do something with it. And we say, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. So we do nothing. 
They did not, the servant did not know who his master was. There was no intimacy. When you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, your eyes are constantly being opened to His grace. I would say the defining character of Christ as I've come to know Him more and more and more is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Because He looks at my life and your life and He says, I love you not because of what you've done, not because you put my resource to work, not because you have a skill or a talent or something that you've invested in. I love you because I love you. And then I bless you. And then you're able to do something with it. But this child, this servant, he was blessed. That that master said, I know you, I love you, I'm going to trust you with something. And there was no, no increase. There was no increase because there was no intimacy. The servant didn't really know his master. And so in turn, what did he do? He took a shovel. He said, I'm burying this sucker before it disappears. I'm going to hang on to this so that when he rides back, when that mean old master of mine runs back into town, I'll be able to give it back to him. That's how a lot of people live. You know that? They live in an irreverent, irresponsible, unusual fear of God. Now we should have a reverent fear of God. But so many people are scared to death they're going to do something wrong that they don't do anything. So there's no increase. He should have done. What does the master say? He said, you should have at least put it in the bank, son. Wise up. I've given you a little something. Do something with it. Now, obviously, we're talking about burying what God has given us. And finances is the obvious interpretation here. That's the first interpretation because that's what he's talking about. Are you burying what God has given you? Are you, are you digging a hole and throwing it in? Basically is what he's saying. Now, now I want to tell you from the pulpit, uh, first of the year I challenged the church. Many of you, I said, look, we need to make a step up and we need to be tithers. We need to be people who take what God has given us and put it to work. We need to take off the top what God has given us and say, I'm going to put this back into the kingdom work of God. And many of you have come and told me that you've done that and you see how God is using that. And I can tell you as a church, we can see how God is using that. But that's not the only interpretation. It's not limited to that. You think about the wedding feast parable. It wasn't limited to what kind of clothes you wear, all right? There was a greater application. And the greater application here is that God wants to take what He's given you and He wants you to put it to work. He wants you to trust Him with it. And He wants you to see it come to life. Every person in this room has been given spiritual abilities. Every person in this room has been given natural talents. Every person in this room has been given some sort of resource that they can put to work for the kingdom. And if we would just get on board and do what God has called us to do, there's no end to what He could do through us. But, this servant was inactive. Not accidentally. Not indifferent. He knew he was being inactive. He chose. He picked the shovel up. He dug the hole. And he put his money in there and he buried it. Why? Because he didn't know his master. He had no intimacy with his master, so there was no increase in what he had been given. And he also had no integrity. Now, now I read this. I want to read this again. 
Verse 25, look at that. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And look at this last phrase. Look, there you have what is yours. Do you see the Am I the only one that picks up the sass in that passage of Scripture? Look at what he does. He, 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 it's as if he didn't want his master to profit. Do you see? Here's what's yours. Take it back. Now I want to confess to you, we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of looking at what God has blessed us with and wanting something else. Now I have in mind, and it doesn't say this in Scripture, and I don't want to add something that's not there, but I think when we read Scripture, it is open to interpretation that we, through the Holy Spirit, and I don't believe this is in any way contradictory to what the Bible teaches, I believe that there was some jealousy involved in this passage. I believe that Mr. One Talent was sitting over there on the porch looking at Mr. Five Talent, going, yeah, he's got five talents, I got one talent. Right? Can you feel that? You ever do that? I do. You looking at the other? Well, what's he got? I ain't got. How come he got? God blessing him doing this and this. And this? You know? Don't judge me. You do it too. All right? And we look and we say, God, I'm not happy with what you've given me. I want what they've got. You know what the Bible calls that? Covetousness. Covetousness. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. Don't want what the other guy's got. Guess what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to let you in on something. If you have what the other guy's got, you're not going to know what to do with it either. Because if you can't use what God has given you, there's no way you can use what somebody else has got. I believe that is a principle of kingdom living. That God gives us what He gives us. That we might use it to His glory that it might return to us, that we might continue to use it His glory. I see that in, in Exodus 33, where Moses says unto God, He said, If I have found favor in your sight, show me your glory, that I might find favor in your sight. That we understand that as God shows His blessings, and we put those blessings to work, that they are multiplied in the kingdom work. And that, that, that if we have the integrity that we should have, that this servant did not have, that we don't say, Here God, here's what's yours. Now, some of you might write your tithe check and say, oh, I'm going to write tithe check. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. I, I always like to tell the story of Billy Graham. Some of you heard me tell this before. Billy Graham was in a meeting of some sort, and they went to take up the offering. And he pulled out his wallet, and he had a 20 and a 5, and he accidentally put the 20 in the offering plate. And the offering plate went around, and he looked at his wife, Miss Ruth. He said, he said, Ruth, I meant to put the 20 in the off- I mean the five in the offering plate. And I put the 20. She said, real quick, and she said, that's all right. You only got credit for the five. Because right? it's about attitude. And, and, and we understand that this man's attitude, his integrity, was all wrong. He was inactive. Last thing right here. How does this all wrap up together? The inescapable truth of judgment. See, because all of these kingdom parables are about either being a part of the kingdom of God or being opposed to the kingdom of God. 
And this man, even though God had trusted him, even though the master had tried to bless him, even though he had bestowed something upon him, he chose to not be a part of the kingdom. And we see a picture here of this final judgment. Verse 29, it says, For everyone who has more... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 30. It says, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's always a reference to eternal separation from God. And it's a picture of that final judgment. Bear with me and let me read this to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned... He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What does that mean? That our works will be tested. Everything we do upon the face of this earth, every day we live, every word we say, every work that we do will stand before God and be tested. And every work that is not of God will be gone. Everything will be wiped away. It will be destroyed. It will be burned up. But he says, as you, he will be saved, yet as through fire. What does that mean? I take that to mean that this guy was not saved. This guy was lost. He had no faith. He wasn't judged because of his lack of, of, of using the resource. He wasn't judged because he didn't put the blessing to work. He wasn't judged because he had a bad attitude. He wasn't judged because of all these things. He was judged because he had no faith. It was not a lack of works that had this man cast out, it was a lack of faith. He did not know his master. He did not trust his master. And he did not wish to bring his master glory. 